0: The name Nairobi means cool waters, and Lagos City was built on a lagoon. Kinshasa grew from the banks of the mighty Congo River, and Cairo from the majestic Nile River, but not Johannesburg.
1: We found gold. (laughs) That was a huge attractor. I mean, we're actually sitting on a pot of gold. Can you believe it? And it's only been half dug out. But we have constraints. We can't go much deeper because the city will collapse and the whole ridge is full of gold. So these kinds of attractors have created cities like the one we live in. This is Joburg. If you look at Joburg, we have the smallest, tiniest little river, the Yikske. Whereas if you look at other cities in the world, the river was the attractor, not the gold. Meet Hanili Kutsia.
0: She is a public artist.
2: There's a new opportunity in Joburg. I can't not discuss this with you. The wilds. We've got the car
0: train coming through. And that is Kathy Monroe. She's a heritage organizer. Between Kathy and Hanley, they know Joe water. Podcast is brought to you by JoJo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists and a proud supplier of water solutions for a better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, JoJo's quality products help to safeguard the well being of people, communities, and the environment, and the people working tirelessly to protect it. You're listening to For Water for Life, the podcast series that tells extraordinary stories of ordinary people and water and about how they're preserving, purifying, and protecting what little water we have in water scarce and unequal South Africa. I'm Gokulet Mklongo.
3: And I'm Sukwitane Pamodi. In this episode, as you can hear, we've made our way to Joburg, a mega city that drives the country's economy. It's a melting pot in more ways than one.
1: Also because if you look at climate change, specifically here in Joburg, thunderstorms are increasing, not the actual amount of water in total, but just the time span that it comes down in. So our failing infrastructure cannot cope with the amount of water coming down in a heavy thunderstorm. And also, I mean, cities have a heat island effect. So we're hot and buzzing around, and in the process, the thunderstorms are furious. So they come down in a short time span and that causes flash floods, like the ones in Galilee's in 2016, where people drowned and the cars were actually floating around on the highway. You know, that's the reality of what we've created in cities from an ecological perspective. So for us, through Water for the Future, by creating participatory and cultural adaptive entry points, So hold on, when we speak about cultural
0: adaptive entry points, do we mean public art?
3: That's right, but with an ecological twist. Hanali is part of a collective that uses research to design public art for a healthier water system for the city.
0: Uh Aha, I'm going to still need an example.
3: So if we think of the thunderstorms and the stormwater drainage infrastructure that Hanley spoke of, it often gets blocked or can't cope with all the water. And there's overflow that goes to waste down the street. So with engineers, Water for the Future created the eco-tree seat, which cuts into the side of the road and catches some of that overflow to grow a tree that has a bench where passersby can sit around it.
0: Aha, uh-huh. that's a really cool idea. So you have a bench that also has its own shade.
3: Mm. And most of their work is about regenerating the Yixke River, one of the larger of a network of Joburg streams. And it's useful to place this river in a bigger picture. Joburg is situated on a 56-kilometre reef called the Witwatersrand. That's Afrikaans for Ridge of White Waters.
1: We have many, many little fountains All over, that's why it's called the Witwatersrat, because the Witwaters, the white waters would come up onto the rocks, it would wet it, and it would look white from a distance. So all of these dispersed water systems were piped up under the city and then directed into all sorts of streams.
2: is a remarkable city because of its location, its geography, its geology. Why are we here? It's history as a gold mine camp becoming a town and a city over a period of the first 50 years. Now, that's remarkable because we are a city that's ostensibly without water.
0: Kathy taught economic history in her academic career before later moving to architectural histories. She's the chairperson of the Johannesburg Heritage Foundation, the people who graced the city's heritage sites with blue plaques, among their many projects aimed at protecting the city's tangible and intangible heritage sites.
2: We've had to make a plan. We've had to bring water here for the purposes of drinking and uh, potable water.
1: We actually get all our water from the Lisseter Highlands scheme. It runs all the way through the Free State, comes into the Val Dam, and then we extract it from there, use it, abuse it, and then take um, it through all of our plants, um, our sewage plants. And then we release it again back into the same river system, um, just 10 kilometers downstream from where we've extracted it. That's a huge load of pollution that we just dump.
0: The Hillborough Tower rises from the inner city streets with their chicken joints and prosperity churches and betting totes. It looms from a ridge alongside its notorious circular cousin, Pointe City two of Joburg's most famous high-rises looked down on a great valley, further along the ridge, a grand old water reservoir
2: from 1913. And of course, from an early date, Johannesburg had to look for the eye of streams, for example, the Bromptonite sprake, the Yuxke, and conserve that water by putting in reservoirs.
1: So the Yuxke is on the eastern side of the city? and it flows from the Ellis Park side, underground. It has three eyes in the Ellis Park area.
0: Down in the valley, sports stadiums, swimming pools and tennis courts configure the grounds of Ellis Park, where returning exiles performed concerts as democracy finally arrived. In 2010, the FIFA Soccer World Cup brought some repair
1: to the area. The history reports that we've got indicate that there were a couple of eyes. So one definitely directly under Ellis Park, under the tennis courts that's just a couple of blocks away.
3: Finding the eye of the Yuxke, and that's where it rises up from the ground for the first time, has been a challenge to journalists, historians and city officials alike. Hunley saw one with her own eye for the first time just the other day.
1: Last week, the um, JRA took us underground into the stormwater system, um, and then we actually saw the one eye, the fresh water coming out, which we're getting tested to see if it's, if it's good. Um, so those um, eyes then get piped up, and then they surface for the first time um, at a daylight point just after Fuller Park, which um, is about a kilometer east from Ellis Park.
0: This was once marshes and wetland where you now hear the wail of alarms and the thumping beats of comb from passing cars. They were once actually elephant calls.
1: And then a couple more eyes fountains that made up these marshes and the marshes actually were so wet they attracted elephants. Can you imagine? We had elephants around Ellis Park.
0: But a mining town boom is a thirsty one.
1: These marshes were not desirable, and it wasn't enough water to look after this gold rush anyway. So very quickly, the marshes were dried up intentionally to open up land for people to farm and live and grow things. And in the process, slowly but surely, the whole marshland was dried up so that the city can develop.
3: At lunch one day, Hanli met a city official who told her how in the 1980s, he'd undertaken a project to dump mining waste into the eye of the Yixke in order to dry it up further. A lot changed in 40 years. Hanli was at this lunch because Water for the Future had been pitching their idea of a green corridor along the river to the mayor. They began working with various city departments. So
1: we know that it was a marsh, but we're not gonna be able to make it into a marsh again. So the best of both worlds for us going forward is to use adaptive technologies, which help society realize that we have to start thinking differently.
3: Which is also how they made the eco-tree seat, cutting into the curb of the road to gather rainwater for trees that have a public bench around them.
1: And often what's happened in public art in the past is that it's just huge, beautiful sculpture that is there for intellectual contemplation. But what we try and aim to do is to make them physically, ecologically functional as well. So this echo tree seat, we then took it a step further and got the kids from an after-school program to mosaic their ideas of litter and going forward with greener spaces, they made the mosaics that was embedded into the echo tree seat, which is opened up conversation. For revitalizing the actual river itself, it can only happen much later because we look at it from a catchment perspective. Um, So where the water falls and then flows towards the river, that's the catchment.
3: Water for the Future began working with the neighbourhoods in the catchment area with ideas like the tree seat. It's an example of what's called SUDS, Sustainable Urban Drainage Systems.
1: One of the SUDS urban drainage systems is actually to have a lot of rain tanks in the valley um, dispersed like on every block. And we have a couple of rain tanks in people's yards and they can actually grow veggies in those wide sidewalks. in in a way that prevents erosion. Um, So that's all part of the design and the whole valley and all the people can then grow their own food and contribute to relieving all the water that hits the canal eventually. So the water is actually used before it hits the canal and the design of the shared spaces is in such a way that you make it much more productive.
0: The Yuxke River flows through pipes, canals and culverts and on through the city's richer northern suburbs, as well as some of its most crowded and formal settlements, like Alexandra Township, where floods regularly rob people of their homes and lives because the river flows through floodplains.
3: It was actually in this river that alluvial gold was first reported by Peter Jacobs Marais in 1853. But Southern Africa has a grand pre-colonial history of mining gold. The Yerksge was a kind of highway for Stone and Iron Age people. As described by writer Sean Christie, who walked the river's length, the Yerksge is today often fenced in by private property, housing estates, and golf courses. It was along the river that he met Basotho workers, Rastafarians, and Amazayoni, all living along the river despite the intense human pollution that Hanali describes.
1: I think when Romy and I started looking at water for the future, we just both, we were fed up with pointing fingers to how do you solve this? There have to be ways to to turn these tricky things around. So when you're looking at that sad little stream that changes colour every time, every day because of all the punishments we're giving it even though it's a contaminated resource it's still a natural resource and if we've been clever enough to stuff it up so badly we have to be patient and clever enough to actually flip it back and just turn the gaze towards the river. Rivers like the
0: Yuxke have a cooling effect on the city and their water supports biodiversity. They also support a corridor of vegetation.
3: But the Yuxke, like many rivers, has a problem with non-indigenous species of plants that have invaded the river. Water for the Future has some great ideas around that too. One of them is called alien weaving.
1: If you look at the alien invasive program that we've designed, it's along the culverts. There's a lot of very thirsty plants that need to be taken out, like buckwheat and all sorts of things. That's really taking over. You know, if you look at alien invasive programs, um, they are the thirsty ones and the ones that take over the local ecology.
3: When you add these invasive plant species to another problem, you have a double invasion.
1: One of the things is that a lot of litter ends up in the river because it ta- gets taken away by the water. So instead of putting up a huge fence that prevents people from seeing, our plan is to take some of the alien invasive twigs and the ones that's specifically quite elastic that we can weave into a temporary fence, which um, with the, actually with the community which creates a wonderful opportunity for conversation. And then as the fence decays, uh, we can decide if we need to weave it again or if the conversation was enough to um, have the community not throw things into the river anymore. Um, So the conversational part, the dialogue during the weaving, creates an opportunity for education, in a very conversational sense. It's not a classroom setup. up. You learn while you're holding something. So in the learning process it, it, it's an embodied experience and that makes the knowledge um, stick. Um, I think in our experience as public art sort of creates a kind of space where you learn something with your hands and your heart at the same time. When it comes to public art,
0: there's more than one way to bring joy to Joburg. Haneli might be best known for The Narrowing, a virtual mountain of rock in a concrete jungle, or Von a 10-story high mural in Braamfontein that depicts Ndebele woman with a beautiful traditional hairstyle. But maybe even more meaningful is the art of creating green spaces in a city.
1: Um, I think it's a slow approach if we give it some time. And that's a nice thing about art, you know, it gives space to think and breathe. And it's, uh, it's a creative place where innovative solutions can be tested. You know, art doesn't have this responsibility that science have. There's a place to play.
0: For Kathy, she sees an upside to development sometimes.
2: The wilds, we've got the car train coming through. It's underground. Water is being pumped out by car train. There's an opportunity to use underground water in conservation of the wilds. So many people simply drive past and through the wilds because of the port on either side of the heart and drive as you come off the motorway and you head towards the hillbrow. The wild emerge as an indigenous garden. And it's a space and a place to walk, to find your soul. There are paths through it. You will find, for example, a forest of yellowwood trees. They're beautiful terraces, fine stonework, lovely trees you can rise up and through. But really, it's a place where one wants to linger. It's a green lung for the city. I think that no man is an island. We have to work with one another. We can achieve more together. And this then involves education, channeling money into what ought to be conserved. If we don't do it, we leave a less rich, space area, environment for our children. In turn, we want our children to adopt these causes and challenges and pass it on to their children. So, yes, it's a long-term project to conserve water, to celebrate heritage, and it's an opportunity to think long-term. When I say long-term, I'm talking more than a 100 years. We have to think beyond our own lifespan. For me, that's a way that we can adapt in a very logical sense.
1: If we start realising that our limited resources like the gold and everything else that we've taken out of the world, that's going to run out soon. And what do we do when that runs out? There's not much more to take out. So how do we build futures that is not so dependent on extraction, but live more sort of self-sustainably?
3: Which is what Nazir Sonday is saying too. He's a farmer and activist who lives and works in the Felipe Horticultural Area, in Cape Town, in the city.
2: And we kind them of over the years, were sandwiched into this area, and this is the area that we supply in the city with a lot of these vegetables. We're looking to see how our ancestors farm and are trying to apply those practices to our farming system. So on our farm, we are modelling... Diversity of crops, which is covers the vegetable crops, medicinal herbs, flowers. We call it the polyculture system, where every farm is seen as an ecosystem that is in tune and and living in the bigger ecosystem and supports the ecosystem.
0: But that's a story for another episode in which our water heroes use science, agriculture, spiritual practice, activism, or, as in Haneli's case, art, to protect what little water we have.
3: I'm Sikwetlane Pamuri, and it's till next time from me.
0: And I'm Gugule Tumtlungo. Thank you for listening. All of our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za. The series was made possible because of Jojo for Water for Life. Find us on social media at For Water for Life and share your water stories using the hashtag listen to the water. Because if you do, it could change your life. From the JoJo family to yours, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of For Water for Life. Whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks, water filters, or other water solutions, JoJo has the product ideal for you. Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content.